You're listening to episode 89 of the Master Your Mind, Business, and Life podcast. I can absolutely say this conversation is like one I have never had before. This may actually rank as my favorite conversation ever. Go ahead and quote me, but sometimes it's just a mood. This week's guest is Connor Moore. Connor is the host of The Realness Podcast, and he's an unconventional personal development guy. His passion is exposing others to the possibility of a fully expressed life through self-compassion and creating experiences. Connor and I have a conversation about the victim mentality, emotional resilience, and psychedelics. Connor is as authentic as they come, and I truly admire his realness. This episode is sponsored by the Spiritual Seekers Oracle Deck. This is a new affirmation oracle deck that I've designed and created as a tool with the intention for collective healing and awakening. The Spiritual Seekers Oracle Deck is now available for pre-orders by going to laurensmithbiz.com forward slash the spiritual seeker. I'll link all this in the episode notes, and you'll also find it on mindbizlife.com. But when you pre-order this deck, you'll receive free shipping. Plus, you'll be the first to know about another super secret project that I'm working on. Now, before I share this conversation with Connor, I want to preface this by saying there's some adult language in this episode and a whole lot of realness. So if you are around kids or people who may be more sensitive or they're not open to a new way of thinking, just pop in those earbuds or put on your headphones. But no matter how you're listening, it's time to tune in, turn it up, let's go. You're listening to Master Your Mind, Business and Life. Conversations with everyday world shifters, truth seekers, and rule breakers. Here's your host, Lauren Smith. Hey everyone, it's Lauren Smith. Welcome back to another episode. Today, I'm joined by Connor Moore. Connor is the host of The Realness Podcast, and he's an unconventional personal development guy. Hey, Connor. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, Lauren. Thanks for having me on. You know, you have an interesting life story, I would say. Will you share with our audience a little bit about what got you to this point of being a podcast host and focus on aiding others in their personal development? Because this wasn't always your life's plan, correct? <laughs> no, I can't really say that my life had a plan uh, growing up outside of uh, just doing what my family did and working in oil and gas in, in this small town in North Texas called Graham, Graham, Texas, about 9,000 people. And um, I grew up there, you know, like typical, have you ever watched the movie Varsity Blues? Uh, yeah. That? Not, yeah <laughs> it, it, that's like not that much of an exaggeration. Okay. Pretty much that kind of upbringing. I played football. I mean, I'm a big guy. I'm 6'4", you know, so I was a big kid, especially in those small towns. And that was yeah. really all I remember saying to myself when I was like 15 and 16, like, I'm just going to go to college. And if I even graduate, I'll just come back to my hometown and like work for my family and work in my family business. That was the plan. And then at about uh, 19, I had gotten injured. I actually got injured um, working, uh, working oil and gas, and I, I ruptured my S1 uh, disc in my, my lower back, so the very bottom disc in my back, and I had nerve damage. And so football was done. Um, my life was seemingly over. <laughs> it was right. my first existential crisis. I mean, I was like, having a hard time getting out of bed. I was on a lot of pain medicine and like, it was just, it was just a, a daze kind of, and, and everything that I had ever done or knew was just gone overnight. And looking back now, I think about that as one of these most, the most pivotal moments because it, it gave me the freedom and the space to just be more curious 
and to get outside of what I, I had known. So I ended up transferring schools because I couldn't play football anymore. I went down to Texas State University, and I remember I went to this. I went and visited my one of my the one friend that I had down there um, that had gone down. Like most people, didn't venture that far away from my hometown. Yeah. And it was my first time being around a bunch of people who didn't know me. So one person at this at this party at this big outdoor party with like a slip and slide like typical frat party. <laughs> yeah. Only one person there knew me, and I was like, oh, I can really just try some new things and be a different person and explore myself a little bit more. Um, more than I ever have in, in my entire life. I just had never been around. All of my friends were the same friends. We played literally together and were on our, the same soccer team. We were five years old and we got drunk together for the first time. Like that was my community. Yeah. And then being in this different world where I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm free. <laughs> I'm free for the first time. And then, and then moved to Austin and, and, and still had a passion for fitness. Uh, coached CrossFit for about seven or eight years. Owned a gym. Um, and then had a very similar experience when I just, I, there was real estate fraud uh, that had to do with the building that I was in, in Austin that I'd leased from. Mm -hmm. And so everything just kind of like all of a sudden one day, poof, it's like, this is, this is done. Another pit so, moment. <laughs> exactly. So I was yeah. like, well, I've got some difficult decisions to make about what I want to do with, with my life now. And I had to ask some really serious questions. And this is actually where I was introduced to psychedelics. Uh, we can get into that a little bit down the road, but yeah. um, I just started to realize that the reason I love fitness wasn't necessarily because of reps and sets and getting this person like a six pack or, you know, this person being stronger. I loved that, but it was really about the people and understanding why they wanted to be in the gym and what they wanted to invest their time into and what their values were and how we could create a plan for them to, to make their actions line up with their values. And maybe that even means creating an understanding of what their values actually are in the first mm -hmm. place. So from there, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of spiraled. Uh, I worked for a company that was heavily involved in podcasting and then worked on the back end a lot and figured out how it all worked. And then, and then eventually, you know, Just, push come to shove it. I made, I made it happen for myself. Yeah. I love that you grew up in a small town. I too grew up in a really small town and left about the same age. And it's, it is, it's like this like world, like it's almost like you're opening your eyes for the first time. Like, Oh, I, I don't even know myself as well as I thought I knew myself. And oh, yeah. it's, it's like the, once you kind of step away from it, it's like you have the permission to explore, to just try different things. And even if they're not in alignment with you at that time, it's kind of like, you know, trying to figure it out, put, putting the pieces in and taking them back out. Like, Oh, it's like a puzzle, you know, just really <laughs> trying to figure out that puzzle. And then every time a new piece kind of aligns, it's like, okay, yeah, I know myself a little bit better now. And then it's like the journey keeps chugging along. Exactly. And I think it's something you said that's really great is, is you start to realize that you don't really know yourself that well, mm -hmm. right? You just can't, you can't at 18 or 19 years old. No. God, and you think you know everything. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and exactly. And you need the opportunities to kind of blow it. Like things yeah. are going to blow up in your face. I mean, I'm a perfect example of yeah. many things that I spent lots of, I mean, my entire twenties were spent towards this CrossFit gym and having a strength and conditioning business. And it just exploded. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, well, that'll teach you something about yourself. And then yeah. through that, you go like, well, I can go, you know, work at Whole Foods, which is yeah. great. Or I can say, well, how much resilience have I built through this, this experience? And even coming from such a small, insulated environment, which, you know, one of the things I feel like was a big marker of my own kind of growth and development in my life was getting into my late 20s and actually starting to feel compassion and understanding for 
the, my family and the people that never left my hometown because we, for so long, I resented my, my hometown. Yes. You know, I resented, I resented Christianity and I resented like not having the opportunities to do all these things that I wanted to do. And I had to be honest with myself and be like, listen, they, they, we only operate off of the context that we have. So it makes sense, like leaving, leaving, breaking that tether and leaving a small town. People don't think about that, but you may have a similar experience. You have to learn how to live in a big city. Yeah. Had, where do you park? What do you do? Like, where's, right. Where's the DMV? How, how do you make, things? how do you make friends that like, Oh my you, God, that's huge. Yeah. Because I went to the same elementary, middle, high school, you know, we lived in the same house all of my life. My dad still lives there. And I remember like going to college and I was like, so do I like talk to these people? <laughs> you know, like, I mean, that's the reason, think I'm weird. <laughs> that's know? the reason I did the whole frat thing. Cause it was like, I, I actually had that same conversation with myself. I was, I, I transferred right before I turned 20 and I was, I was like, I've, I've had friends made for me my entire life. Like I don't, I would be to have to go out and make friends in college. It was, I was so intimidated by that. Like I didn't yeah. even really want to be in a fraternity necessarily, but it was like, well, here's a group of guys that I can at least get along with and there's stuff to do with people to meet. Right. And then even after that, it was the, you know, the CrossFit community was the same type of thing and say what you will about the, the pros and cons of, of that fitness method, but the communities are great. So it yeah. was, I, I knew that I was, that was a struggle for me to get out and meet people and, and just like make organic friends. I think it's a struggle for so many people. I hear that from my clients all the time. Like, how do I, how do I take the people out of my life that aren't adding value and go find some people that are aligned with me? You know, Ooh. it's, it's, it's a, it's a strong move and it takes a lot of confidence and faith in yourself to do that. It does because it can be so easy to just kind of stay a hermit when you're in this new place. I mean, mm -hmm. after that, we moved 900 miles away from everyone that we knew. And at first I kind of liked it, you know, it's like you go to the grocery store and no one knows you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then there becomes this point where you're like, okay, I need someone to hang out with. And it, putting yourself into a new situation or moving away from it, an, an old one, man, that shift, it's, it's, it's a fuzzy line, I would say. Mm -hmm. Like you're not really sure when it happens. You just have to lean into it. Yeah, and you have to be you have to be open to what's around mm. you. Yeah. You no, know, I think there's every there's so many opportunities to just to just break the ice and have conversations with people, whether whether it be the barista at the coffee shop or, you know, these kind of low low risk in, encounters with people, and you can right. speak your mind and say what you want to say, and, and people are usually less judgmental than we like to assume they are because we're so judgy of ourselves right yeah. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're always judging ourselves so harshly it's like oh my god they're gonna think i'm weird and it's like maybe they will and maybe that doesn't really matter <laughs> right but there's strength in community too so yeah. by staying a hermit you're not getting any stronger from it you're not really growing from that no no and you're not challenged mm. and that, that's the biggest piece too You've had, you've said it yourself, a, a couple pit moments in life. And mm -hmm. I know we've talked on the podcast a lot about just how impactful childhood is. And you have been very open with your own childhood and your upbringing and, of course, the various struggles that you've encountered. But you have shared that your parents were addicts. Mm -hmm. A lot of people would use this as an excuse or any of the struggles or, or traumas from you know, losing football in your life to losing the gym to, you know, the struggles that you had just as a child, well, whether they're conscious of it or not, a lot of people make the excuse, but what has kept you from falling into this victim mindset? Uh, I mean, I've definitely flirted with the victim. Yeah. <laughs> the victim I think we mindset. all have, right? And I you think you go it's, through that, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where, where like when my back was messed up, right? Like, like things had, mm. I had pain and I was like, Hey, this is something's going on. And my you know, my boss at the time was, you know, don't be a pussy. And 
tough it out, you know, and I yeah. thought I'd just like strain the hamstring, but little did I know I had like a pinched nerve and I, my leg stopped working. So yeah. <laughs> I got a little extreme and that was like, is that my fault necessarily? No, but is it my responsibility? Yeah. Like, yeah. And, then, and I think drawing the line between fault and responsibility, like I also, you know, my parents were addicts and, and like my dad's in prison now and he gets out uh, next year we text a lot and I still love the dude. He's a super, he's a, he's a really nice guy. He's a great guy. He's very charismatic, but the product of his experience was that he just, he needed a community mm. and, a, and his community was around amphetamines, right? It just happened that, that that's what, that's where he was at. He was poor. He didn't have a dad. Like it makes total sense. Right. So I, I early on so little in my life made sense. <laughs> like things, yeah. you know, when you think, and I, I love my mom, we have a great relationship now, but when you're, when your mom, when your mom's an addict, what she does doesn't make any sense, right? Mm -hmm. To you as a kid, you're like, well, I'm, I should be more important than whatever the fuck else is going on in her life right. with, with, with drugs or these other people or anything like that. But that's not the state of mind these people are in. And there's usually some kind of shame trigger in there somewhere. And that was, a, that's, that's the case with my mother, right? So I think that that experience growing up and then on the other side of that being raised, I moved in with my grandparents when I was five and they were, they were ama they're amazing people. My grandmother just passed away last year, but they were, they, they took us in me and my two little brothers. And so on one side I had these super loving people who made tremendous sacrifices for me. And on the other side, my biological parents um, were super inconsistent and just kind of disappointing in, in so many ways, really hard to reconcile. So I was in this place where I just had to ask myself why all the time, like they just didn't make sense. So I think what that did was kind of patterned me to be, relatively introspective, uh, more so than most people, just because it, it was necessary for me to, to kind of get through it. Um, and then being a kind of a, a, a fat kid and getting picked on and not being able to talk to girls, like it just put me in a situation where I spent a lot of time thinking about myself. Um, it was pretty socially anxious and, and you wouldn't be able to tell that now. I get that projection a lot now that like people just think I've been this way my whole life and that couldn't be further from the truth. Mm. Um, so for me, I'd had, I had a balance of, of really challenging times, but really amazing, amazing people in my life who showed me that, that with sacrifice and, and really work, you, you can have an incredible life from nothing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my grandfather who really raised me, uh, was my father figure. His dad passed away when he was in the seventh grade and his brother was in the sixth grade and they dropped out of school. Um, to take care of his, so his sisters could go to school. They had two sisters. And this is back, you know, he's in his mid-70s now. So he, this is a, a different time. He had a paper route. He, he scrambled eggs at the Air Force Base. <laughs> he was a fry cook, you know. It just, yeah. And then through sheer hard work, the dude, you know, could retire and, and, and paid for all of, all, of, all of his grandkids to go to college. Wow. Like that's a story when you can look at that and have someone like that in your life. And that's something I'm so grateful for it. It helped me look at like what, even though what I'm going through is hard, people have been through harder shit yeah. and made it out the other side and, and been loving through that entire experience. So that, that helped me a lot. And I, like I said, I got to go to college and there's, there's certain levels of privilege in that too, where I was, I was lucky in a lot of ways. So it was easy to balance it out. And, and, and to say, you know, the victim piece, it, it's so popular to adopt that now. Mm. Not that people aren't victims, but that word gets thrown around uh, so much. Yeah, victim and trauma, and I like to think about it as as it's all in, it's all information, it's all experience, and what can you do with that? Because if you label something as an experience or part of your a substantial part of your history as trauma, and that being said, there is real serious trauma out there that that that's 
that has to be worked through. But if you can, if you can label it and language it as experience and information, it, it, it just takes the weight out of it. Because the last thing you want to do with something that's traumatic is give it more and more power. Yeah. You know? Because then it just feels heavier and heavier. <sighs> and then something like that, it can easily sink you into depression and this whole long list of mental health issues that so many people around the world are, are suffering from. Oh, absolutely. And then that's all you see. Yes. If all you see is trauma and oppression and inequality, if that's all you've ever experienced and, and you, and you carry that around, that's all you know how to see. Mm. And that's, that's, it's, it, I get, I get criticized for victim blaming sometimes. And I'm sure people listening to the show may think that too. And that's by no means what I'm doing here. Like that's not what, that's not what I'm talking about. It's, it's more of a state of mind to help you move and make progress. And I think one thing that helps so much whenever you're talking about processing challenging experiences in life is feeling like you're moving forward, like you're on your path, whatever that is. And that may mean like getting, just getting a job that's stable, right? Or yeah. getting a, a house that you can, that, that's, that's safe, right? That's pr something moving forward. It just gives you a little bit of momentum and you can earn that little by little over time. And it, it, it can add up. It adds up over time. That's how everything works. It's these small one and two degree shifts in our way of seeing the world that changes everything. Right. Like how are you supposed to shift your mindset if you aren't being grateful for what you already have? Yeah. So start by being grateful for what you have. Boom, one small shift. And then it's like baby steps from there. And I think sometimes people get so fixated on that long goal, that, that bigger picture that they forget the steps that it takes to get to that and that they have to take action in that. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's, you can leverage these challenging experience. Like if you look at every really traumatic experience in your life and say, what, what can I leverage from that experience to help me grow and develop emotional resilience? Because mm. that's one thing that we don't even talk about today, right? Is emotional resilience. Like how much can you, wow. can you handle it? Right. And, and that is, and I don't say that because people need to be more resilient. It's like, no, that's a, that's a strength. Yeah. Like emotional resilience will change your life. Right. Wow. And can you look at that and say, okay, now that was really hard and that wasn't my fault, but I can take responsibility for where I'm at now and understand that because I went through something really, really tough and I'm okay right now, I've developed more resilience than most people will ever have because of that challenging thing I went through mm, I instead of living in spite of it all the time. I love that outlook. I love that. And I've never thought of it in that, in that way, but damn. <laughs> making me see it in a whole new light now <laughs> well I mean that's and if you, you know, I know you wanted to, to spin into psychedelics a little bit I mean that's one thing that that helped me so much particularly mm, mushrooms yeah okay let's talk let's, about let's, let's, let's go we're diving deep straight in <laughs> well one thing I thought was funny even early on in, in my like psychedelic adventures you know and I did just to give you the rundown like a, a mentor of mine had gone to a business conference and he was like, man, I heard these guys, these CEOs talking about how mushrooms help them with their business. And we're like, okay, so I'm going to try these out. I'm really curious and just open-minded to what, what this could be because I was terrified of drugs. Yeah. And my parents, like being addicts, right. like you, your parents being like, I didn't smoke weed till I was 20 years old. Like I was terrified of any kind of mind altering substance besides alcohol, apparently. Right? Yeah. And, um, so got introduced to like a few grams of mushrooms. It was very mild, didn't feel much. And then randomly smoked uh, DMT one time, kind of a low, again, very mild. And then right around the time, about a month before my gym closed, I had, um, I had uh, put myself on a waiting list for an ayahuasca ceremony in, uh, like in the hill country of Austin. 
outside okay. of Austin, about 30 minutes away. And I didn't think I was going to get in. I wasn't really planning on going, but I was like, I'll put my name on the waiting list anyways. So one of the guys who was going to go, his sister had had her baby, his nephew, two weeks premature. Baby was healthy. Uh, everything was great. Just but early. he had to back out. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I was the only one who could go. So I find out 48 hours beforehand, <laughs> like, hey, you're going to ayahuasca this weekend. Yeah. So I, uh, I got to drop everything. I get ready. And that really was my first, I would say, like, real, true psychedelic experience. Mm. And it was beautiful and hard and dark and scary and enlightening. It was just, it, it was all the things, you know, and there was the, the first thing I remember was being very scared because all the noises got really loud. Like people are laughing and crying and vomiting and you're just like, oh, there's a lot happening here. <laughs> <laughs> and what weird because it, it distorts your, like your, your view of time and, and where sounds are coming from. So it sounded like all those sounds are coming from one person and it was just freaking me out. And uh, I'm just kind of holding it together, holding it together, not really resisting, but just like scared. And this feeling came over me and I, I call it being spooned by the mother. <laughs> like, <laughs> I call it ayahuasca like the mother and she just whispered in my ear, in my right ear. I remember this like it was yesterday. She goes, it's okay, sweetheart. It's okay. Oh. She's like, it's not always going to be easy, but I'm always going to be here. And what that did from, that's what I needed to hear from my own mother my whole life. Oh, and it just, I mean, I get chills saying it right now. It just, it felt like I was just immersed in love. Wow. Like that's all it was. And it was just tingles. And <laughs> it was, it was amazing. And I say, you know, think about the, the, the most you've ever loved someone, right? Is like, make that the equivalent of shooting them with like a super soaker, like a water gun. Mm -hmm. I feel like I fell in the ocean. <laughs> wow. Just like completely covered in it. And it was, uh, it was amazing. And I got into some stuff the second night. I got into some stuff with my, with my father that was really dark, but again, came all the way back around to love. And then the third night, it was three nights in a row. Um, the third night, it was just, it was just letting go. It was looking at, looking at humanity and our life for this kind of cosmic joke that it is. And I was laughing the whole time and just enjoying looking at how silly we are as human beings. And something about that, like it just helped me take, it helped me embody the way that I, I truly feel that I am and just taking this whole thing a little less seriously than mm. most people. And that was even something that came through very clear on ayahuasca was like, Hey, just don't take this stuff too seriously. Yeah. Like this is, and that was, that just, that gave me the freedom to really be who I am, you know, and it's not something I did all the time. I didn't do it again for years after that, but it was, it was a big shifting point for me. So it was almost like an awakening in a sense. Very much so. I mean, coming from such a, such a small, I would say that's what, that's how I would kind of describe my, my early life. It's just small. It's a small town. Things are small. The scale is small to really being open to expansion mm. as a, as a human being and in taking up space and not feeling judged or ashamed of that. Right. And that, that was, yeah, very much an awakening that way. Do you feel for someone to experiment with psychedelics or to, to step into this or try it, that they have to be in a good mental space or can you start this anywhere in your journey? Um, I think, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a challenging uh, question to answer, to be honest with you, because it's mm. so individual, right? So if you're on just medically, if you're on any kind of uh, antidepressant or SSRI medication, no go. <laughs> no, like it's a hard, hard no. Stop hard there. no. Stop. Yeah. Just, it, there's too much stuff going on with your brain chemistry that that can really 
get wonky. So even mm-hmm. like, uh, so I facilitate, I don't facilitate, but I, I take people down to Soltara Healing Center in Costa Rica. Um, and they have a medical board that, that uh, vets everyone going in, making sure that's not, that's not part of the deal, right? Like you right. have to be off of those for weeks beforehand, um, which is challenging. It's a big barrier to entry for people. But I think if you're in a situation like we have at Soltara, where there's four expert facilitators, two healers that have been working with the plants since they were nine and 10 years old, Right. right. They, that's all. That's what they, that's what they know. That's what they do. They live that life. And you know that they have an, an advanced medical board, mm. right? Like you are as safe as you can be in that container. Now there's an investment to go into something like that. But if you're in a, if, if you're, especially if you're in a really dark place and having a really hard time, you need that safety. Yeah. Because if you do something and things get a little sideways and you don't have a professional there or more than one professional there to help you get through it, um, that's when things can go really sad, you know, and really, really go, go the wrong direction. And that's not, that's not beneficial for anybody. Right. What do you say to someone who like maybe scared you talked about, like it got dark for you that can, that can be scary going into it. Just knowing like, Oh man, some dark shit's about to come up. Like how, how do you mentally handle that? Like <laughs> walking in, like I'm, I'm one of those people that can't even watch scary movies. So I'm like, Oh dang. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's so many, there's so many like cool little stories to tell, right. About what's right. going on. But, um, you know, I think if, if they find, if anybody can find any comfort in this, like the darkest experiences usually end up being the lightest mm. as, as weird as that sounds. So I had an experience and that this is a good example of that. of this four hour experience the first time I went to Soltara and was just testing it out to see how I I liked it. And of course I fell in love with the place, but I was uh, dying. And speaking Mm. of victim mentality, she goes, um, this voice was talking to me in my, in my experience, not an actual person. Um, And she goes, uh, basically said, you don't need to be a victim anymore. And then I, I said, who am I if I'm not a victim? That was just like, I was watching, almost like Ooh. I was watching a conversation between me and someone else. Yeah. She goes, well, if you want to be a victim, I'll show you victimhood. So for the rest of the time, for about 90% of the rest of the time anyways, I was dying over and over. I starved to death. I was a, I was a, a Vietnamese civilian getting shot by American soldiers in, uh, in the Vietnam War. I was in a concentration camp. I was beat to death. It was just like every way that I could have conceived of being brutalized or, or, or marginalized, or it's just, it was just, it was insane. And I was just, I didn't even know who I was anymore. This is crazy. Do you think that like anything that you saw was maybe like a glimpse into like a past life? I don't know. <laughs> People like, ask me that all like, the time. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm cautious not to like, not to attach too much of that, to like start to try and overthink it. Right. Because what came, what it came down to at the very end is my intention going in, in was show me my heart. Mm. It was my intention going into that night. And I remember coming back into my body and I was like, oh, and I felt my arm and I was like, oh, my arm, I'm, I'm Connor. <laughs> yeah, Connor. hello. I'm freaking sweet, all right. And I like worked my way up my left arm, just like feeling like squeezing my arm and I get to my chest and I start feeling my heartbeat, which was going pretty fast at the time. Yeah. And I just got overwhelmed with gratitude for being alive, like gratitude mm-hmm. for every heartbeat. And I went in there thinking like metaphysical heart, like my heart light, my heart energy, like that type of thing. And what I left with was an overwhelming sense of gratitude. And I just sobbed after that. I mean, I was just like, I had lost it. And I was just so, so grateful to be alive. Right. So that's the darkest experience I've had hands down. Yeah. And 
the most beautiful experience. One of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had in my entire life. Wow. And, and something you don't lose, like you don't forget that, right? You, like, no, you can't you unsee that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so whenever things get a little bit squirrely and shitty in life, you're like, hey, like my heart's beating. Yeah. At oh. that. Dang, you can feel yeah. it. You can just yeah, really just put your hand it. right over it. Yeah. Mm. And, and how beautiful and how simple it is yeah. to it's, just. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's never as complicated. <laughs> it's never yeah. as complicated as you think it is. <laughs> We, we really do overcomplicate things. And I love that you said that you'd spent the last night just laughing at just how silly humans are because there's so many times that, oh my, there's just so many times, even on Black <laughs> Friday, you know, like watching people literally act like animals in some spots, like getting mm-hmm. a TV. And it's just like looking at it and you're just like, really? This, this is what we're doing now. Yeah. It's just like in the grand scheme of things, this is what we're focused on and concerned yeah. with. And what are we doing? Yeah. And then we, and we like turn it into entertainment for each other. We turn yes. it just like, I mean, look at the Kardashians, right? We just oh, turn this yeah. like train wreck into something that you can't turn away from. Yeah. It's crazy. Oh, they did that uh, so well. Oh, they're <laughs> so good at it, but it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's enticing. It's a, yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's a little scary. Like, from, from, you know, people who aren't woke, I would say, and they're just in that very sheep mentality too, of like following and you're just like, whoa, 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 stop a second. <laughs> like, yeah. Do you, do you see what's happening? Because I, a lot of people are still very blind to it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And there's part of that where I think that there's a lot of, you know, there's different types of people, right? And if everybody thought the way that you and I think, like the world would probably be crazy (laughs) nothing would ever get done maybe a little bit it would be 1800 million podcasts (laughs) all about how to be amazing (laughs) everybody would be great no one would have a job it would be hilarious yeah Yeah. it's like Encinitas California it's just a bunch of coaches hiring coaches and the money just goes in a circle yeah circulate yeah we don't even need money we can just be tradesmen yeah exactly it's just Bernie man all the time right <laughs> but you're right. Yeah, we do, we do need the battle. Well, I don't even say balance, but you know the different types of people. So that's just what mm-hmm. makes us. That's what makes us humanity. Yeah, yeah, and I think where people where I if I get judge you're critical of people, it's when they forget that we're all a product of our experiences, right? Yeah. We're all we're all different, but we're all kind of the same. You know what right. I mean? And that's to think that everybody should see the world the way that you see it. That's where I get like, oh, that's, 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 I think that the major error that people have, like, well, I, I have it figured out now. And that's everything right. from hyper spiritual gurus to white supremacists. Exactly. Right? It's like, yeah. I know what's right here and it's the same mentality. And that's the broken mentality in my opinion. Mm, I like that. Yeah. Cause our, our perception is our reality. So yeah. my, my reality is going to be different than my neighbors whose perception is different. Exactly. Yeah. And people, yeah, it's, it's important to know that too. And just mm-hmm. for anyone who's listening to just kind of be aware that your perception is your reality and that you have the ability to change it at any point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's a lot of the work that I do is helping. I, I call it uh, just broadening your boundaries of experience. Mm-hmm. I think that being able to express yourself in an authentic way is one of the most fulfilling things that we can do because the, it feeds back to us, right? If we can express ourselves fully or as fully as we know how to at the time, which is a process, uh, we receive information back and we create more context on who we, who we want to be. And then we have more options to choose from, but if we have shame and judgment and fear creating these boundaries on how we experience life, well, then we're, we're operating off of limited information. 
right? right? And you can't choose something that doesn't occur to you to be chosen. If it's not in your field of experience, then it's not an option for you. But if you can get out and be curious and and understand why those boundaries exist, and you probably didn't choose a lot of them, they just kind of got handed down to you. Can you step outside of that and and understand how to process the shame and and get outside of of what you're used to? You you open up yourself to so much more freedom uh, and and such a wider perspective on the world and kind of clean that lens off that you see the world through a little bit at a time. Did you... Do you, I want to say, did you, but do you feel like you always have to kind of reshape your boundaries at different stages of life? Has that, has that changed for you? What your boundaries look like? Oh yeah. I think, I think it's one of those things. And sometimes they get wider and sometimes they get narrower. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you think about, you know, a lot of people that work with me deal with date. Dating is just a big part of life in general. Right. So that's something that always comes up. So if you're in like exploration phase, right? And you're just figuring things out and you're moving, you're dating casually and doing whatever and just learning things, right? Your boundaries are really wide. And then over time, you start to whittle those down and become more, you you start to create your own boundaries and that narrows them out a little bit, right? So you've reshaped that experience, but then in work, that may be a totally different thing, right? And and as in, in, within a relationship, it can change and broaden and narrow depending on what's going on. But I think it's, it's, it's being open to the understanding that, we continually evolve. And that doesn't mean getting more and more broad. That means getting more and more clear on what it is that we want in our lives. And that changes all the time. (laughs) So it is, it is. That's the thing. I think people have this idea that I'm going to be like, you have an an awakened experience. And then now I am. Broke. Yeah. (laughs) You're not. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) You're always awakening. (laughs) Exactly. Did you, you may have just closed yourself off to a whole different subset of reality that you don't right. really want to acknowledge, right? So it is, it is a continually evolu- evolving process. And I think that's why they say the work doesn't really uh, end when it comes to, to self, just the self work. But I think that's where, again, emotional resilience is a big part of that because you have to maybe accept that you're wrong about some things or that your mind has changed or that you've learned something new. And that's, that's awesome. That's empowering. That's, that's, that's a way to live. Yeah. How do you sometimes, I don't want to, lean too hard on stereotypes, but of course mm-hmm. there's a stereotype of feminine and masculine and feminine are more emotional and, you know, they show it more and are able to talk more freely and masculine should be, you know, like more uptight and strong, <laughs> but you, you've already touched on this. You, you find power in speaking through your, your most authentic self. So mm-hmm. how as a man, do you lean into that and be more in touch with your feelings and how do you advise others to do the same? Well, as a man, it's, it's interesting because I think one thing that's happened through personal development in the past, you know, five or 10 years is that uh, the lens that we view expressing emotion through is through a very feminine lens. And I think, I think women in personal development lead the way a lot of the, a lot of times, like my friend, Christine Hassler, right. Who is yes. just the, the, she's the, amazing. the Beyonce of personal development, right? Yes. She's, she's fantastic. Um, she talks about this as well. It's like, there is a different Men, or people on the masculine, say on the more masculine side, right, are going to express things in a different way. And it's usually through figuring them out, right? It's a mm. thinking into feeling. And, and I think right. on the feminine side, it's a feeling into thinking, right? So it's just a backwards way. And I think that's where men and women or masculine and feminine miss each other. It's because, oh, you need to just feel, 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 feel. And that doesn't feel, for me, doesn't feel super genuine. Right. I need mm-hmm. to, I, I develop compassion through understanding. Uh, if I can, I can start to understand where this feeling is coming from, develop compassion for myself and then express it um, through that, that method. 
yeah. is much more genuine to me. So I think it's one of those things that we, we push men to feel, 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 but it's like, how about we get introspective a little bit? Yeah. Lean on that masculine side of thinking and figuring things out and solving problems. Right. That's something right. that we love to do. Right. <laughs> so, so let's, let's look at it through that and push, push a masculine expression of feelings that is healthy and open, but not you know, just trying to force it to be the, through the, through the, the, through the, the narrow lens that we, that we see feeling or expressing feeling through is can kind of get a little bit, uh, get a little muddy, if that makes any mm. sense. Yeah. Do you feel that since you have become more aware of this and, you know, kind of stepped into this, that knowing this about yourself and how to navigate it for yourself, has that helped you in your relationships? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, for me, it's a boundaries conversation, right? Like mm. dating Kelly and, and we have a really, a really healthy relationship, but she, she's very feminine, right? And she's just really stepped into that in the past few years. So a lot of times like she'll want to process her feelings with me all the time. And I'm like, listen, babe, I, I, yeah. Talk to your girlfriends. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what your girlfriends are for. And we, yeah. one, of, one of the women that we work with, a somatic, a somatic therapist that we've worked with, told her the same thing. It's like, that's not, I, I, can't, I don't have the capacity for that. Like, I'm over here trying to build out a new program. You know? Yeah. It's like, I'm like, what, what? Like, I don't have feelings right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in this thing. I'm in robot mode right now. <laughs> yeah, but and it's, it's one thing that's so amazing on, on her end. And I think a lot of women can take this, this lesson is that's not, that's not a problem, mm. right? Like, that's not... That doesn't, your, your partner, and Esther Perel talks about this a ton, doesn't need to be your confidant and your emotional processing machine and your, and your lover and your co-parent and your roommate and, you know, the guy who picks up the dry cleaning. Right. right? It's like understand that there is, there is a grounded masculinity that's usually, and I use the word grounded very intentionally, like allows uh, for the feminine if there's a strong connection to be more expansive. Mm-hmm. But to try and pull that person into your expansion is going to, it kind of degrades the, the relationship in my, in my opinion and mm. tries to make it something that isn't really resonant and it isn't balanced. Yeah. And you can see that a lot. I mean, we talked about Burning Man briefly, but, uh, but these are kind of these couples that are just kind of like floating out in outer space right? <laughs> both in the ether, which is, which is, which is cute. And, and it is a thing, but in this, I feel like there's this generally what we want is, is a balance, a little bit of a, a push and pull right. and a little bit of tension, but that, that creates a stronger bond. And I think that comes through allowing the masculine to be what the masculine um, desires to be. And that creates the space, you know, speaking as a man creates a space for a really expansive feminine on the other side of that. That's fucking beautiful. Yeah. I love that you kind of touched on feeling like your partner has to be everything. I think that is something that society has almost like pushed on us. Like your partner has to be your one and all. You have to tell them everything. Like that is the only person. And that puts a lot of pressure on both people to to have that. And then to not be able to what talk to someone else about something and just have a different role. Or like you said, sometimes you're just not mentally you don't have the space for this conversation yeah. to, to well, hear about it. I don't even understand it. it. I'm like, well, I don't <laughs> yeah. know. I don't have a lot of context for those feelings. You know, right. That's coming from somebody who I coach women. Like I right. primarily coach yeah. women. <laughs> which, is, which is a completely different relationship. Catch 22. Man, yeah. But, but yeah. <laughs> Like, but I, do you, this, I do this all day. I, I run out. I run out of, <laughs> run out of juice. great things to say to you. I'm really sorry right now, but they they all got spent earlier. <laughs> no, an important thing. One of um, our podcast guests taught us was that 
women should vent to other women because a lot of times when women are venting, they just want to be heard. And sometimes men take it as, okay, I need to fix something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so time, they'll give feedback and the woman's like, no, 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 like I didn't I want that. Like, I'm not asking you to fix it. And it's like, and then a the man's sitting there like, well, then why are we talking about this? You know, That's it's like, what I do. <laughs> yeah, so it's like I'm a fixer. So what do you want to do about this? So it's also really important, something that I have adapted, and I've, I've really tried to be more conscious of it, even as a from female to female. If I'm going to be venting to one of my friends, first asking them like, hey, I've had like the craziest day. I just need to vent. Do you have five minutes? You know, and just like mm-hmm. ask them first, like, because you don't know if uh, my friends sometimes are all across the world. So some, you don't know what they're doing in that moment or mm-hmm. if they've had a crazy day too. And if you're just piling your energy on top of an already bad day for them, it can feel very heavy. So sometimes just asking like, you know, do you have the space for me right now? And yeah. if not, don't take it personally, you know, yeah. but more times than not, they say, yeah, well, hit me with it. I'm <laughs> <Of course. laughs> unleash it. What do you got today? <laughs> I get it. Yeah. And that's huge. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it, just, it just makes it, and it, if the energetic exchange there just feels so much better. Mm, yeah. Well, let's switch real quick into business. Um, cause I don't want to skimp on this. The world of coaching has certainly become more popular in the last decade <laughs> and there's all different types of coaches. So what is your role as a coach? So this is something that I've been coaching for, I think, close to four years now. And for me, just to give you a little background, it wasn't something I, I didn't say, Hey, I'm going to be a coach now. That yeah. wasn't really my um, intention necessarily. I, I had some stuff go down and, and people were asking me, I'd worked in this community and people were asking me for one-on-one coaching. So I decided I built a program for the people that were asking me for it. Right. And that turned into what I do now. Um, so for me, what I love to do, and, I, and I've realized this over the past few years and just if started to distill this down is I, I work with women on creating a, a life for themselves where they feel respected and appreciated. Mm. Like that's, that may seem a little vague, but that's simple that's, and easy as that. And, and it's one of those things where I had, it's hard. It's actually a hard thing to be like, I'm a man and I work with women. Like that was, that took my, my, my uh, dear friend and business coach, Amy Young. She's so rad, but she's like, you work with women, Connor. Like just let's yeah. be, it's 80% of the people you work with already. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> working with both. And, and we got, and once I came to terms with that, I was like, yeah, that, that's, you know, my life experience growing up in a house full of women, mm. dating the way that I have, working with the people that I have, my clients in, the, in fitness were all women and, and, and the, the, the friends that I have now, I mean, I have these amazing women around me all the time and I'm hearing so much. And I think sometimes for women, you know, you have those female, female relationships, right? Where you can invent and you can do the thing and then you can come to someone like me that has the background and the ability to help you create an empower uh, or create a, a, an empowered way of being where you can solve your problems, right. right? Where you can really create a positive feedback cycle in your life saying, Hey, I fucking deserve to be respected and appreciated in my life, my relationships, my work life. It's all one big thing. And how I do anything is how I do everything. And there's something about that that I feel is so impactful for people. And it's, it's fun. It really is fun. Yeah. That sounds fun. And I saw that you're like hosting retreats. Tell us about those. Yeah. So uh, we are heading down, like I said, I I brought this up earlier. So one thing I wanted to do um, is create a really amazing group of people to go down and experience ayahuasca together. And that was something I had kind of gotten that like little bit of thought, a 
a slash download, I guess you want to call it a download yeah. around ayahuasca the first time. Like this is going to be part of something you do. And then when my, uh, when my friends opened up Soltara and invited me down, I said, this is the place. Yeah. This is amazing. Uh, amazing food, amazing facilitators, like just so much respect for the, the, the medicine. And they built this entire retreat facility around um, the ayahuasca experience. So um, we are trying, we're doing about two or three of those a year now. And we've got that all set up and we take 20 people down. The, the combinations are amazing. It's Kelly and myself now, and we have men's and women's circles and we go with the commitment to really work with the plants and, and create an environment where you're there with strangers regardless if you go on a retreat like this, but they're strangers that listen to the same podcasts yeah. and love, love the work and are like-minded. So you create these really amazing bonds and we're all down there and everybody's there for a reason. You find out when you get down there, it's really clear that everybody who's in that Maloka with you drinking is there for a reason they all add some kind of some kind of element to the environment that's 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 important and it's it's amazing yeah it really wow. is really is cool and it's we do a three we call it the triads we run out the entire facility so we have a lot of freedom as far as how we want to construct the week for the people that are coming down there and, and so we've been able to create a personalized experience for people that listen to ceremony wellness or the realness or that love what we put together and we do a three night uh, three nights in a row, just like the first one I ever did, which is my favorite way to go about it. And it ends yeah. up being like one three-day ceremony, right? Wow. Ups and downs, highs and lows. <laughs> and it's uh, with some sharing and there's, and there's a beautiful beach, there's monkeys, there's, uh, there's hammocks and just space to have your experience. And we respect the hell out of everybody having their own individual experience down there, but doing it with an amazing community. That sounds so amazing. And I love that you're once again, bringing it back to community and mm -hmm. everyone has, has their part in this life. And I, I'm sure it really is cool to see how each person kind of brings their own piece to this. And then it's like, they were all there for that reason. Like you said, like mm -hmm. you probably don't know the reason why they're there at the time, but by the end you're like, all right. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you hear that story over and over again. It's like, I didn't know, I, you know, I didn't really know what to think about this girl on the top, on the top bunk. <laughs> yeah. She's like, she said something and it just like, it just stuck with me. And I'm like, yeah, that's why she was there. <laughs> ah, yes. Oh my goodness. I love this so much. Connor, I know our audience is just going to want more of you in their lives. So where is the best place for them to find you and connect with you further? So for any kind of coaching retreats and all of those things that we offer, you can go to getTheRealness.com, And then you can, if you want to learn or listen to more of me chatting on the internets, you can go to uh, the, Real, the Realness podcast on Apple podcasts or anywhere that you can find podcasts. Yeah. If you're streaming, wherever you're streaming now, I'm sure you'll find it there. Yeah, wherever it is. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, uh, that's, I love the podcast. It, it's, it's the thing I, I can't imagine. I did not imagine I would love it as much as I do. And it's, I get to create these really cool conversations. Like I've got another one tonight and I just can't wait. And we just let loose. It's like, yes. it, it's a, one thing I, I just love creating is this, this judgment free container. And it's, yeah. it's fun to do that with coaching and we get super deep in coaching, but to do it when you know, thousands of people are going to listen. Right. That's a, <laughs> that's a different environment. Yeah. It's so fun. It's so yeah. Fun. You just get to share and just see what, what comes up. And I love what the audience didn't hear before we got on. You're like, what are we going to talk about? And we're like, well, whatever comes up. <laughs> exactly. Just, <laughs> we'll see where it goes. I love it. You're just so full of truth and wisdom. And I love how real and genuine you are. The space that you've created is making massive shifts in the world. So just thank you so much for what you're doing and for joining me today. I appreciate that, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me on. I hope this conversation with Connor gave you some more insight into a different way of thinking 
In hindsight, I realized that I should have asked more questions about ayahuasca. I'm sure many listening really aren't sure what it is. Ayahuasca is a plant native in the Amazon that's been used for centuries, if not thousands of years. Um, It was used mostly as medicine in tea form, for the most part, by shamans throughout the Amazon for both divinatory purposes and for healing. Now, if you have more questions on this, you got to hit them directly to Connor. Um, He's going to be the best person to ask. And if you would like for me to dive deeper on this topic, know I am always down. Just drop me a message on the website or on social media. I'm everywhere at MindBizLife. And of course, you're going to want to connect with Connor further. So head over to MindBizLife.com website where we have the show notes. I have linked his website, social channels, and his podcast. And don't forget to share this episode with a friend. We are peaking really high on some charts. We're 57 in the United States, 49 in Brazil. We've hit the top 20 and top 10 in numerous countries. Now, I'm not big on vanity metrics, but I know that when we place in these top charts, it means that the message is expanding and we're helping more people globally shift into consciousness and awareness. And that, my friends, is a beautiful thing. I'll see you back here next week for another episode, but until then, remember, every level of life is an opportunity to grow. Be well, my friend.